want to continue talking today on uh, just about the Philippians, Paul's letter specifically, and uh, what he was saying to them. Uh, realize he was writing from jail, he was in prison for his faith, he was um, not in a good situation, but that wasn't new to Paul. If you read through his biography, uh, not only the biography that Luke wrote about him, but his autobiography through his letters, he was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, and imprisoned. Anybody done any one of those? Anybody been stoned? Beaten with a, with a cat of nine tails, which is the, the way the Romans beat you with that, basically just scarred you. Anybody been beaten like that? Shipwrecked. Anyone? 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 Uh, spent time in jail. Uh, now, maybe some of you have. We'll talk about that later if, if you need to. But Paul had lived a hard life. His decision to follow Christ, actually Christ's decision to grab him on the road to Damascus, changed his life in such a way that most of us would say, you know, become a Christian, follow Christ, your life is going to be amazing. For Paul, his choice to follow Christ meant beatings, stonings, shipwrecks, and jail. Are you sure you know what you signed up for here? I've been watching the Olympics, and I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I have to admit, I'm an Olympics junkie. Every four years, actually every two years, I like them both. I don't understand figure skating, but my wife makes me watch it. Um, but I, I'm, I, I love it. I love the competition. I love the fact that these people have spent their lives. Uh, some of the gymnasts, they began at four, three and four. The swimmers began in toddler classes like at two. Uh, the, the sprinters have been running all their lives, have been training. And, you know, there's this one commercial that says, I haven't, uh, uh, you know, had a dessert in two years. You know, that's the kind of... That's the kind of dedication they've had. You know, the other athlete was saying, you know that book that you've, everybody's read, I haven't read it yet. Uh, they've dedicated their lives to swimming, jumping, flipping, archery, shooting things out of the sky, whatever it is, they've dedicated their entire lives to that moment. And for some of them, if you, did you see the 50 meter uh, swimming? Did you see that, Kenny, the other day? 24 seconds? Is that what it was? 24 seconds, your life for 24 seconds. There's a story of, have anybody ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? A uh, story of Eric Little and uh, his decision as a Christ follower, a controversial decision, a decision that almost caused his entire country of Scotland to disown him. How could he disrespect his country by his decision? And uh, there's, a, there's a documentary that was made of him a few years ago, and I want to show you a, a brief clip that'll kind of explain, hopefully, uh, his story. What would you do? What would you do? Your convictions as a citizen of heaven tells you one thing. 
but your earthly citizenship is calling you in a different direction. What would you do? I'll look at the text today, Philippians chapter 1, and actually just focus on verse 27 there. Philippians 1, 27. If you have it, I encourage you to, to pull that up. But I want to read it for you. And listen to what Paul says here. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I know that you're standing together with one spirit, with one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. This is God's word for us today. Paul is kind of going into the meat of his letter here. And he starts off this section by saying, above all. And uh, you're, depending on what your translation is, it may mean only this, but what, what Paul's saying in the original Greek is, this is it. This is the main thing. If you get anything else, if you get nothing else from the letter, get this. This is it. So we need to all pay attention to, to, to this. Get this. Above everything else I say, understand this. Because if you get this, everything else will fall in place. If you don't understand this, then everything else you do will be lip service and will be meaningless and will do no good. Get this. What is it we're getting? We're to conduct ourselves. Uh, if you have a different version from the New Living Translation, which is up here, you're not going to have that little phrase between the, the commas there. But the original language, when it says, live your lives or conduct yourselves, that word conduct or live, is literally live your life as a, as a citizen. This is how you should live as a citizen. And for the Philippians, they knew exactly what Paul was talking about here. Because many of them were citizens, although Philippi was a long way from Rome, they were officially citizens of Rome because Philippi was part of the Roman Empire. And to be a citizen of Philippi meant, meant that you were a citizen of Rome. We gave you all the rights and privileges of Roman citizenship. Uh, you could participate in the civic life of Rome. It also meant that there were certain obligations on you. There were taxes. There were expectations of you to attend certain religious ceremonies, certain things that uh, the, the, the Roman cult, so to speak. You were part of the Roman life. And anywhere you went with the Roman Empire, you were accepted because you were a Roman citizen. It's been uh, interesting for me to, to travel between here and Ecuador and um, to, to have that passport with you. That passport that is your identification, that passport that uh, if, if you need it, it's all your information there, that passport that you hope don't get, doesn't get stolen while you're in Ecuador, uh, you don't lose it. Uh, but it's that passport that also is a magical entry into the U.S. Embassy there. Uh, when we were working on getting Gabby's citizenship uh, in the U.S., uh, we had to go there a couple of, uh, at least one time. And I remember uh, we went, and there was a line, kind of like Chick-fil-A this week, outside the gate, 
down the sidewalk, and uh, they each had an Ecuadorian passport. It was the, the burgundy one. And then I had my blue one. And when the guard saw my blue one, he said, come on in. You don't have to wait in line. I'm just going in. That was the right and privilege of being a U.S. citizen. Uh, and the U.S. government expects me, even when I'm in a different country, to represent the U.S. well. There was a TV show called Arrested Abroad, isn't it? Uh, where people think, oh, I'm in a different country. I can do whatever I want. For one, you need to know the rules of the country you're in. And number two, the U.S. has certain expectations of you as well. They do. Uh, you know, if, if you commit a crime over there and you come back home, guess what? Chances are they'll say, go back. And we'll help you get there. We'll give you an escort. Make sure you get there. Uh, there are certain expectations. You know, uh, we live in an amazing country, don't we? We really do, where we have the rights and privileges of participating freely in society. We can vote. Uh, it's pretty sad that although all of us can vote, less than 20% of us do. Uh, and there, was hearing Dr. Middendorf, the general superintendent, I think when he was in Indonesia, uh, there were, uh, no, this was in uh, an African nation, there were, had been tribal warfare that were, these tribes were killing each other. The uh, Church of Nazarene went in, uh, began to minister both to these tribes, and those two tribes made up one district now in the, in the Church of the Nazarene. And if you know anything about our church, when a district is formed, they have what they call a district assembly, which is the annual meetings. Uh, what do you think happened when these two rival tribes that were killing each other only a few years before came in their tribal dress to this district assembly. They didn't kill each other. I actually testified how God had freed them from that. And uh, then the ballots were passed. And for them, this was the first time they'd ever voted on anything in their lives. And they treasured, and they had a praise service because they got a ballot and were able to vote in a church election. Uh, you know, we have such amazing freedom. It's an amazing privilege we have. So Paul says, if you get one thing, get this. Conduct yourselves or you must live as citizens of where? It's right there for you. Citizens of where? Heaven. Anybody been there? Nobody's been there yet? Nobody's died and come back? I haven't heard that story from any of you. Um, there's an old hymn, you know, I'm kind of homesick for a country, which I've never been before, Beulah Land, because we're citizens of heaven. And Paul is reminding these people who have such privileges as Roman citizens that first and foremost is not their Roman citizenship. That's not their most important attribute. First and foremost, above all else, they are citizens of heaven. So Paul says, since you're citizens of heaven, conduct yourselves, live your lives worthy, worthy of the good news. What's that mean for us? 
how do you live your life worthy of the gospel? And the gospel is the story of Christ, how he came, uh, lived, died on the cross for us, but was raised again, and has offered that gift freely to us. How do we live a life worthy of that? We're told that nothing we can do can add up to, to receiving it, can we? We can't earn it. But once we've lived, been given the gift, Paul reminds us that we need to live a life commiserate with that gift. Live a life worthy of the amazing gift you've been given of salvation in Christ. And he says this in the second part of the verse, Then, whether I come to you and see you again or only hear about you. Well, what's he talking about there? Uh, well, you have to go back a few verses. If you start verse 20 or so, 21, uh, actually a little bit before that, he begins a dialogue where he is realizing that he's at the end of his life. And he's saying, I hope I am never ashamed, even if it causes, costs me my life, that I'm never ashamed of Christ. And then he, he, he begins to, to think out loud. Ever think out loud? Uh, this is what Paul's doing with his dear friends, the Philippians. And he says this, you know, for me, living is good because that means I have a dynamic relationship with, with Christ and I'm living for Christ. For me to live is, is Christ. But dying is even better. Not many of us have been to that point in our lives. Uh, but we've, we've all known dear saints who have reached the end of their lives, and they're like, you know, uh, we don't want you to go, and they're saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to see Jesus face to face. I'm ready for my faith to be made sight. I'm ready to cross over. I'm ready. And we're like, no, hold on, hold on. And they're like, no, I'm ready. Paul, his ultimate desire was to see Christ face to face again. He'd met him face to face on that, that road to Damascus, and he had lived his entire life after that, waiting for that to happen again. So he says, you know, for me, living, living is amazing because I'm going to live for Christ. And we say, are you crazy? You're in jail. You've been shipwrecked. You've been beaten. You've been stoned. Your life has been horrible since you met Christ. And he says, no, living means I get to, I get to have Christ in my life. That's worth everything. I've traded everything for that privilege. But still, dying is even better. And then he goes on to say, you know, but I'm sure for your sake, I'm going to be more of use for you alive. Life. So I'm going to live, I know, for your sake. And he said, because of that, I'm going to get to come to you one day again, and I'm going to see you face to face. But he set up the, the reality that says, then whether I come to you or see you, come to you face to face or just hear about you, You've never heard the phrase, wait till your dad gets home? Anybody ever heard that? Don't tell me I was the only one that ever heard that. Wait till your daddy gets home. Uh, that was the death knell for a kid, isn't it? Because you know, no matter what your mama did to you, no matter the beating she gave you, uh, wait till your dad come, comes home meant that it was going to be exponentially worse, right? Uh, and my dad had the, the ability to just make me feel bad on top of it. Just, you know, I don't know, he just... Feel awful, and then came the spanking. But uh, uh, you know, feeling awful before the spanking didn't didn't get me out of the spanking ever. So uh, I guess it didn't do me any good, did it? 
but wait till your dad gets home. Basically, what your mama was saying was, why don't you act the way, why don't you act just the way you do when your dad's home when it's just me, when the heavy is gone? Why don't you respect me like you respect him? Why aren't you as scared of me as you are of him? Paul's saying, I may not ever get to see you again, but that doesn't mean that you need to act like I'm never going to be there. Live as citizens of heaven, worthy of the calling, the gospel of Christ Jesus in your life. And whether I get to see you in person or not, or just hear about it, I'll know this. And this is the key to living out your citizenship in heaven. That you are standing together with one spirit, with one purpose, fighting together for the faith. You know, we, we know that there's more than that, right? We're called to be different, right? Being a citizen of heaven means that you're weird. You do things like, you know, I'm really not going to run in that race because I believe that I'm not supposed to do that on Sunday. You're crazy. You're a weirdo. Yeah, I know. Because my citizenship is in heaven. We make choices every day where people around us say, man, that's weird. You give how much of your money away to the church every week? 10% plus? You realize what you could buy with that? You're crazy. Yeah, I know, I'm a little weird because my citizenship is in heaven. I mean, you don't let your kids do that? Well, I mean, every kid does that. Well, we believe that God calls us to a higher standard when it comes to raising our kids. Really? Yeah, well, that's weird. Yeah, I, I know. Well, 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 our citizenship is in heaven, so it's okay. This was the, the kicker. When we were in Ecuador, uh, Gabby's uncle came to, to pick her up from the working witness site, and he couldn't understand... This is the question, now, why in the world would the seminary pay the way for all of these U.S. citizens to come and paint and then pay them while they're here? Why would they do it? Wouldn't it be a whole lot cheaper just to hire some locals? And Gabby said, say, um, they're not getting paid. They've paid for the privilege of painting. They've paid for that privilege. And somebody would say, really? You spent that money to go and work? You realize what kind of vacation you, vacation you could have had with that money? You used it to go to work? What kind of vacation? That's crazy. That's weird. Well, yeah, well, that's the way we do things in heaven. We do things differently. Our citizenship is in heaven. There are choices that you make every day which prove where your citizenship is. And if you've never had anybody say, that's weird, maybe you're not living it out in a way that Christ would have you live it out. But Paul is saying to us, the major way that you live out your citizenship is the way that you, the church, get along with each other. This world is filled with fighting and backstabbing, isn't it? Anybody been the victim of it outside the church? Anybody ever had anybody talk about them in a way that just... Uh, is horrible. Yeah. Anybody ever been disrespected outside the church? Anybody ever been hurt, shamed, used? 
that's the way our world operates. It's, the, it's everyone for itself, right? Well, we're number one, and we're going to make sure that we're taken care of first. Well, Paul says, well, the church is supposed to be different. The church is supposed to be completely different. You're supposed to be not out for yourself. You're supposed to be standing together in one spirit with one purpose. Now, he uses a term that's used, that's used in other, other places in Greek for athletic events, for team events. If you've been watching the Olympics, you've noticed that these teams, many of them have been playing together for, for years as well. They have such a teamwork and such a camaraderie. I was watching Rowan. I have never watched Rowan in my life till this past couple of weeks. And I found it fascinating when you get eight people plus that person yelling at them, you know, like the Geico commercial, row, row. You've seen that, right? The guinea pig. Thank you, Bob. You've seen that commercial. Well, in real life, that's, there's, a, there's not a guinea pig there. There's a real person that's yelling at them, row, row. And these eight people, eight individuals are working com- in complete harmony together. They have one goal, one, one purpose, and that's to get to the end quicker than anybody else. And so for four minutes, they are rowing together, completely together, but it's not for just those four minutes. It's been the four years leading up to those four minutes. They've had one purpose, one goal in mind. And so when one of them gets out of line a little bit, well, they say, no, that's, you're, you're getting us distracted from our goal, our purpose. Come back in. This is what we're doing. When one of them wants to quit, uh, they say, no, you're not going to quit. You're part of this, and our goal is to be there and to do this. And then when they're there, when they're in the midst of it, it's amazing to see them completely in sync, taking them down the, the water like that. Absolutely amazing. Paul's saying you need, as Christians, as the church, to be the, in sync like that. The role of the pastor is to be the guinea pig in the front of the boat. Row, 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 row. That's the role, the, the role of Scripture. That's the role of the Holy Spirit to say, row, row, row. And it's our job together to say, yes, we're on that page together. We're in sync. This is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do this. This is our goal, and what's that goal? Well, that's the gospel. Sure, our goal is, is heaven, right? But for Paul, that wasn't the goal for which they need to be unified The goal for which they needed to be unified was the spreading of the gospel. Be completely together, standing in one one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the gospel. How do you do that? Well, Paul goes on to remind us in the next set of verses in chapter 2. You gotten any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your, your hearts tender and compassionate? If so, then make me truly happy. Make my joy complete by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one, each, one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. How do you do that? He gives us how. Stop being selfish. Stop it. Don't be selfish. 
Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. In order to be united, in order to be on the same team together, in order to be together for one purpose, we've got to be anti-selfish. Completely unselfish. We've got to be in such accord that we say, you know, Ron, I think, you know, you're more important than me. Marcy, you are more important than me. You know, I don't have to get my way. And it's not about my way anyway, it's about the gospel. And how can we all get on that same page? Don't look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. And then in verse 5, he basically says this. If you want to live as a citizen in heaven, if you want to live out your citizenship in heaven here on this earth, then have the same attitude that Christ had. And he goes on to quote a hymn that we don't know anymore. We don't know the, word, the, the, the music too, but we know the words. Have your same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the very form of God, he was equal with God, he was God, he didn't consider equality with God as something to be exploited, squeezed, used for all it was worth, but poured out that power, emptied himself, taking on human form, and being found in human form, he humbled himself even further to how? To death on a cross. When's the last time you got upset for not getting your, what you wanted? When's the last time you got angry because somebody did something you didn't want them to do? When's the last time you got angry with someone in the church because they didn't do what you wanted them to do or didn't do what they expected you to do or they didn't do the right song this morning or they said that in, Sunday, in the girl groups today or... I can't believe they're doing quizzing at this time of day, or I can't. When's the last time you thought that? Stop being selfish. Get on the same page. Is it furthering the gospel? Is it furthering the gospel? Jesus gave us a way to remember his unselfishness. It's a really simple way to do it. Uh, it's when we gather together, we physically take in symbols of his unselfishness. We take a, a little wafer and we break it and we remind it that this is his body that was broken for us. And then we take a cup and we drink it and we remind it that this is his blood that gives us forgiveness. And every time we do it, we're supposed to not only remember what he's done for us, but look forward to his coming again. But we also are reminded, this is how you live out your citizenship. This is what citizenship in heaven looks like. It means being unselfish. 
Selfishness and the gospel are incongruent. They don't work together. They're incompatible. You can't be selfish and live out the gospel. You can't be self-centered and live out the gospel. You cannot be self-absorbed and be, live out your citizenship in heaven. You cannot be egotistical and live a life worthy of the gospel. Some of us need some humility lessons this morning. I want to pray for us, for me included. <laughs> I want to pray that in the next few moments, God points out any selfishness in me. And that through the amazing grace he offers through the bread and the, the cup this morning, that he'd forgive me, not only forgive me, but give me the power to hold my selfishness at bay. That when I get home today and something doesn't go exactly the way I want it to go, that my first reaction is not to get angry and have my own way come hell or high water. But my first reaction is to say, you know, I love you <laughs> and it's okay. I forgive you, it's okay. I'm going to say a prayer for us, and I'm going to ask uh, Jim and Lisa are going to come and, and help serve. And as they come, I want to pray for you. And after the prayer, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come. To come and be forgiven, to come and receive grace, to come and be reminded how to live as citizens of heaven. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me for my self-centeredness. Forgive me for getting angry over petty things. Lord, forgive me for not thinking of the gospel first. Forgive me for not living a life worthy of that gospel by my self-centered attitudes at times. Lord, I pray in this moment that you'd forgive me as well as all of us, all of us who've sinned in that way and that you would offer such, such amazing grace that will help us to combat that attitude especially here in the church may our lives together be so unified in the purpose of sharing the gospel of living out that gospel of taking people to the gospel and us to, to them that there's no room for self-centeredness at all Lord, make us different through these moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.